Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge, presented by Curriculum Track, a brief retreat from your daily routine to explore the latest thinking and practices from faith-based educators and instructional leaders from all over. Join us as we swap innovative ideas geared towards promoting your school's mission, and we'll keep the conversation as fresh as you like your coffee. We're joined today in the Teacher's Lounge by Stacy Cook, Senior Kindergarten Teacher at Cairn Christian School in Stony Creek, Ontario. Stacy was originally from Tennessee, but after teaching at a missionary school in Indonesia, where she happened to meet her future husband, Albert, they moved back to his native Ontario. She stepped away from teaching for a few years to raise their four children. But seven years ago, Stacy returned to the classroom after also serving for several years as the children's ministry coordinator at her church. In addition to teaching kindergarten, she's a Teaching for Transformation early adopter at Karen Christian. And in all of her free time, ha, she's also a part-time student at the Institute of Christian Studies in Ontario, pursuing a master's degree in educational leadership. And we're excited to have her on the Teacher's Lounge today to share some high-level thoughts about a project that she's also sharing with the Curriculum Track Network as well. So welcome, Stacy. It's great to have you join us today. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So I'm really excited to talk about some of the upcoming blog posts that you're going to make available to our network. Excited to introduce those and give people a heads up so they can look forward to reading the bits and pieces that will drip out. But I wanted to, first of all, mention your husband, Albert, has contributed to the blog as well. So his name might be familiar. He has not been on the podcast yet. So you've got him beat in that score. <laughs> And maybe we'll see if we can get him on the podcast after this conversation, if it goes well. We'll see. Maybe you'll either talk him into it or talk him out of it. I don't know. Anyway, it's great to have you join us. And it's amazing to have a team represented here in the curriculum track community. We know it happens quite a bit, but you teach kindergarten and your husband teaches at the eighth grade level. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So I'm sure you've got a lot of interesting conversations that happen in your household as you approach teaching from two almost opposite extremes. Sometimes some of our stories are very similar. This happened in kindergarten. He's like, oh yeah, something almost like that in grade eight today too. Yeah. I was going to say in my time in junior high, I wondered if I had kindergartners in my classroom from time to time. <laughs> That's great. And this is the first time to my knowledge that we've had a kindergarten teacher on the podcast. So thank you so much for representing all of those important teachers. It's amazing work. We were talking before we started recording how I am not cut out for kindergarten. I tried it one day and never wanted to go back. I went back to the junior high classroom myself. It's wonderful to have you. We know there's a lot of important work that goes on. What's that poem? It's a pretty famous poem. Everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. Yeah. Well, I wanted to get started by pulling some of the threads out of your bio before we talk about the joy of teaching, which is our underlying topic for the day here. But current kindergarten teacher, former children's ministry coordinator, missionary teacher, stay-at-home mom, that's a big job too, as you know, quite a busy career path. What's been your motivation, your guiding principles? What caused you to get into teaching and make some of the decisions that you've made? Yeah. When I went to university in the States, I was not in the education program at all, a completely different route and was in that program for the first semester and realized this was not for me. It was more in the finances and business programs and I just didn't enjoy it. I think mostly because of my mom. My mom was a children's worker in our church for years, ever since I can remember she's involved in children's ministry somehow. 
And that's always been a part of my life, seeing her and how she influenced children growing up. For me, I wanted to do the same. I wanted to be a part of children's lives. And I think I connect better with little ones than I do with teenagers or middle school students. But just watching them grow, watching them flourish, watching them shine when they understand something, that really warms my heart. So I think that's been the driving force all along. I still want to work with children, even raising my own children. There was a lot of education in helping them button their clothes. Like we count the buttons, we name the colors. So just helping them to learn and understand more about God's world around them and then bringing that into the classroom. It's amazing to be able to teach in a Christian school. I've only ever taught in a Christian school full-time. I've taught in two public schools part-time in the States. But to be able to help children see the world around them and to influence them for Christ, that's the driving force. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So how did you get into teaching in Indonesia as a missionary teacher? Mm -hmm. So when I graduated from university, I went to a public university in the States, in Tennessee, but I was a very busy, active member of the Baptist Student Union. And through the Baptist Student Union, they had a program for graduates and missionaries all over the world would put in a request for someone to come and help on their team. And there was a request for a school teacher in Indonesia. So I applied and I went. And the program was for two years and I ended up staying for three. Okay. That's interesting. And that's where you met Albert. That's where I met Albert. He came independently. He graduated from Redeemer and then saw a flyer on a bulletin board in the education hall and said, ah, I'll do that. And we met there. <laughs> the rest is history, as they say, right? And you're an early adopter of the Teaching for Transformation journey there at Cairn. Tell us a little bit about your deep hope. I'm sure you've developed a deep mm -hmm. hope for your class, for your own ministry. Those that are part of TFT would know deep hope, but I think all of us can wrap our minds around it. How would you express your deep hope? My deep hope for my senior kindergartners is that they know that they are loved by God and that they are able to share that love with others. And that they recognize they have an important role in God's big story right now, mm. not later when they're adults, but right now, there are right things now. that a five-year-old can do that an 18-year-old cannot do. So yeah. helping my students to know they have a place right now in God's big story. It's amazing. How far are you into the TFT journey there? We are starting our second year where all of the staff are implementing the different protocols in their classroom. For me, it's my third year because myself and two other teachers at our school were the early adopters. So we did the one year on our own and attended workshops and practiced it within our classroom. So for me, it's my third, but the school as a whole is on their second year with all the teachers implementing different parts. Nice. Nice. I think Daryl DeBoer was one of our first guests on the podcast. Oh, yeah. And so I'll invite yeah. people to go check that out. Yep. Teaching for Transformation. What a great program. Curriculum Track has some tools to support TFT in Curriculum Track as well. All right. That was not a shameless plug. That was just a connection point that needs to be made, right? More schools are going that way. So it's good to have the resources out there. Yeah. As an outsider, someone who hasn't lived the TFT journey, based on the little I know, it's a very extensive process, but it's a great way to just you're either all in or you're not in, right? So get all in and embrace these great practices and follow this journey. And it changes you and it changes your students. So I always like to hear schools embarking on that journey. Mm -hmm. 
So you decided in your free time to become a student at the Institute of Christian Studies there in Ontario. And I have been just really intrigued by especially the educational program there. I had the opportunity to meet Edith Vanderbloom a few years ago. And I, Vanderbloom, okay. Mm -hmm. And talked with her briefly and heard a little bit about the story. I think if I recall, my memory serves me right, that she launched this program during the height of COVID. And so launching an educational program for teachers at the graduate level is a major undertaking, but her passion and desire to just inspire and equip teachers is amazing. I enjoy every chance I get to talk with her. So you can insert your own shameless plug here if you'd like, but tell us about your decision to pursue that master's degree and specifically at ICS. Yeah. As I said earlier, I graduated from university in the States and I had my bachelor's degree and I had my teacher's license and then I went off to Indonesia. And I spent three years there as a single, came home, got married, taught for a year, went back to Indonesia for two more years with my husband. Our first child was born in Indonesia and I was teaching, teaching, but there wasn't any opportunities in Indonesia really for professional development. So fast track coming back from Indonesia in 2003, I needed more education. I felt like I really wanted more, but then we continued with our family and I knew for a while I was just going to step out of teaching in the classroom. So when I began seven years ago, back into the classroom, I started as an educational assistant and I started that same year teaching grade six math. So watching other teachers and just remembering how to do class with students was wonderful, but I still didn't have any professional development beyond what I graduated with from university years before. About two years ago, our site director, Kevin Hunick, said, then you need to do your master's degree because I really wanted to do Christian professional development. I'd gone to a public school, public high school, public university, and didn't have that deep underlying Christian philosophy undergirding my teaching career. So I really wanted that. And he said ICS. So he, Kevin Hunick, is a graduate from ICS and he really recommended it. So I went to an open house online chat and I was hooked. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's a great program. And one of the courses, I don't know if it's a required course or an elective course, but it was, I think, something about finding joy in learning. That's correct. It's the one I just finished. Mm Mm-hmm. And so tell us about that course. Is it required? Is it not? I think it would be worth taking the program just for that course alone. What problem would you say or question is it seeking to answer or address? It is more about the teacher than the student. And why are we called to teach? Why do you feel that as a Christian educator, you are called to teach students? And who are you in the classroom? So the joy that we have in anything starts within ourselves, right? And that joy comes from God. But then how do you live that out in your classroom? So understanding more about who you are as a teacher, who you are as a person. There was a little description, I guess, from Edith about the course designed for educators. It's just (laughs) about who you are as a teacher and what brings you joy and how do you allow God's underlying truth in your life to come alive in the classroom? So all of the coursework, all of the readings were focused on that, Mm. your call as a teacher. Yeah. And that call is important. You know, revisiting that call, I think it is important. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just my experience. I'm pretty sure there's 
a lot of people who go through something like this, but teachers find, especially in their first year or as they switch into a new setting, a new school setting, new grade level, perhaps that they come in with high hopes, wanting to get a lot done. And then the realities of the school year settle in hard and they're just Mm -hmm. holding on for dear life and just living for the next vacation day or summer break. Absolutely. And it can seem like joy is maybe a bonus, not necessarily a requirement. How would you address that? Yeah, it's true. The first year, second, even third year teachers, you're learning routines at the school, you're learning families, you're learning just how to use the curriculum and how to do more than hand out a worksheet and collect it and opposed yeah. to worksheets. It is hard. And that joy, I would say that maybe we lose a little bit of our happiness because there's a definite difference between happiness and joy. And for sure, you're not always happy. You're tired. You're stressed out. You're busy. You're constantly busy. Teaching is not an eight to four job. It's always on your mind. You go home and you're still thinking about your students or parents and there's so much. And that joy that you have can seem to be sucked away, but this course helps us to remember why we were called to teach to begin with and Mm -hmm. where did that calling come from? And actually, Dr. Vanderbilt was changing the name of the course from the joy in teaching to called to teach. And Mm -hmm. that's going to be more of the focus in a more predominant way in her writing and the lessons that we do. It's called to teach. And why are you called to teach? And If you're called to teach, then what? Because it's not just a job, it's a calling, right? Mm -hmm. Do you see, and I'm not inviting you to be critical, I don't think that's Mm -hmm. who you are, but do you see where maybe as a generational thing, some teachers are approaching teaching more like a profession than a calling? And what do you think they miss out on when they approach it that way? Yeah, I do think that. It's a career, it's a vocation where go in and you teach and you come back. And I think if you don't see teaching as a calling, you miss the investment that you have with your students and with your school community. Teaching Mm -hmm. in a private Christian school has given me a community that I did not have before I started teaching at the Christian school. Colleagues, parents, friends. It's more than just a job where I go to work and come home. It's my investment. And I think If you approach teaching just as a job, it becomes a nine to five job where you check off the checklist and you go home and then you start over the next day. So if you see it more of a calling, then it is an investment for yourself, for your students. It becomes community, right? It's not life, but it's definitely a big part of life. And have you, I'm sure you have, I think we all have, but can you think of a story or an example of a teacher who has approached this profession of teaching as a calling? What set them apart? What made them memorable? How did their students respond to them? Yeah, I didn't go to a Christian elementary school or high school. I grew up in the Bible Belt in Tennessee, so there were many Christian teachers. And you could tell a difference between those who were doing a job and those teachers, Christian or not, that were just doing a job or investing in their students. So teachers that would take time to enrich the curriculum, teachers that would take time to interact with the students on a more personal basis. How was your day? What did you do over the weekend? Just showing that investment with students makes a difference. In the end, the academic piece is important and it will happen. 
But if the students don't feel like they are known and seen and valued by their teacher, then school becomes for them a dreaded thing that they have to go and do and come back or just another thing that they have to do. It doesn't become all that it could be for students. For myself personally, it would be a teacher when I was in grade six, I was on part of our newspaper for the school committee. And she stayed after school to work with about seven of us to develop the newspaper, past her work hours, past her time. And she invested in us. It was more conversation about what we liked, what we did, what we enjoyed, rather than this has to be done for the newspaper. We got the work done, but she invested in us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that could be life-changing, mm-hmm. which yeah. can bring joy. So as a product of that course through ICS, you wrote a paper, just a small 38-page paper, single-spaced, <laughs> a few pictures and some spaces and stuff for sure. But it wasn't a last minute project. It sounds like it was a major project. What brought that paper about? What was the actual assignment? I think it's entitled Educators as Metaphors and Reflections to Guide Us in Our Journey. So what brought that paper about? What were you assigned to do? So the assignment at the end of the course is pretty open. Edith is very good at saying, I want your project to be something you can take away and continue to use in your class, in your vocation, with your colleagues. And there are options, like you could write a paper, you could create curriculum. For another course of hers that I've taken, I wrote curriculum. So it is pretty open. And that way it's a little bit hard. Sometimes I'm very much a tell me what to do and I'll do it kind of person. So to create this idea of this project was difficult. And I changed what I was going to do throughout the semester. At first, I wanted to take what we were doing from our class and use it as professional development for my colleagues. And then I thought, yeah, but the timing is not great because this course ended in September. Beginning of the school year is in September with all the beginning of the year professional development and meetings. No one's going to want or have the time to sit and listen to what I've learned in this class. So... I opted not to do that. And then I was talking with my husband, Albert, and we were talking about this together. And he's been watching and listening to some of the things that I've been discussing with my peers in this class. And one of the books is focused a lot on metaphors. And then he actually said, why don't you write devotions on this? Oh, yes, that's what I want to do. So I ended up taking 10 of the 12 or 13 different metaphors that were listed in two of the different readings and breaking them down. A lot of what I have written is taken from my comments and my reflections on the readings throughout the semester. That's how it began. We agreed together that sometimes it's hard to find as teachers devotionals or reflections for yourself and for your peers as teachers that isn't, for lack of better words, isn't cheesy. It's going to be a tough day and your kids are going to make it hard, but you can do it, right? Yeah. For sure, we can do it, and that's good, but something a little bit more meatier. Like, we wanted something that would be inspiring and encouraging and right where we're at in the classroom. So yeah, that's what I did. 
Yeah. So when you submitted it and said, hey, if you can use this, feel free, which was very okay. generous of you. First thing I noticed was your writing is very inviting and accessible. I think you're drawing from your experiences as a kindergarten teacher and as a mom and as a ministry <laughs> coordinator and all those things to say, hey, I just want to speak at you in a conversational way. It's certainly not an academic paper from the stance of I'm going to yeah. write to my professor. It's very accessible. I like that approach to devotions, but I also noticed how practical it was. Mm -hmm. In that you focus on these 10 metaphors, you speak to the teacher first, but then give practical ideas of how they can apply it to their classroom. Right. I love that kind of dual approach. I thought if I were to receive these, how would I want them to be? Like, how could I use them? And part of the project is that it becomes something that you can use later on. Definitely the reflections and the devotionals by themselves are inspiring and encouraging, I think. But there's no practical use to them, right? You can reflect on it and then try to use it in your classroom. But again, I'm very much a person, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I thought if I could just give suggestions and ideas of how to use this uh -huh. in the classroom, how would I use this in the classroom at different grade levels? And that might be beneficial to teachers as well. So that's why I did the for the teacher and in the classroom sections. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the way we want to use them for the curriculum track community, because as I said, I'm still working through some of those pages. It's a nice <laughs> meaty read and yet not a hard read. It's more than you can take in one sitting. Yeah. And so what we'd like to do is just sprinkle these throughout the year. I think we're going to do a bi-monthly feature, each of these metaphors, two posts a month, one for the teacher, then one for the practical size and just spread it across. And then we'll invite people to request either through you or through us the entire document once we've posted them all. So we're going to string it out a little bit, <laughs> keep people looking forward to what comes next. That's right. And basically they'll have a chance to spend the entire year with Stacy and her devotional thoughts. <laughs> so we wanted to give them a chance to meet you here. But what I thought I'd do as we kind of wrap this up today is instead of working through all 10 of those metaphors, we're going to save something for people to read. I thought I'd just, first of all, ask you which one is your favorite, which one you resonated with the most. And then mm -hmm. give you a chance to summarize it. And I would tell you which one has leaped out at me. And you can summarize that one, share your thoughts. And then we'll let our audience look for the rest and read them as they are posted on the Curriculum Track blog. Is that okay? That's great. Yeah. Go ahead and start with your favorite. I like them all. I think one of my favorites or the one that really speaks to me is an educator's place on the ladder. And that's towards mm -hmm. the end of the document. It goes back to when we were talking about how first, second, third year teachers are so busy and even fifth, sixth, seventh, 20 years veteran teacher, you're so busy with everything. The metaphor actually comes from the story of Jacob's ladder in the Bible when Jacob is resting and he sees in his vision or his dream the ladder and on the ladder angels are ascending and descending. But Jacob isn't on the ladder. He's not working hard to climb. He's resting at the foot of the ladder. For me, it's just a reminder that there's always going to be more things as a teacher that I can do. Like I can leave my classroom at six o'clock in the evening and still have so many more things I could do. But that's not healthy and that's not allowing me to rest. So it's a reminder for me that I need to rest at the foot of the ladder I need to rest at the foot of the cross and allow Jesus to minister to me the way angels were ascending and descending to Jacob. They were ministering to him. That was God ministering to Jacob. 
And I need to stop and take time and allow God to minister to me so that I do have my best to give to my students, that I am able to invest in them. So yeah, just where do we belong on the ladder? It's at the foot of the ladder, waiting and resting and letting God, the academic pieces will happen. For us, the teaching will happen, the curriculum will happen. But if we're not rested and allowing God to minister to us throughout the busyness, then we don't have a whole lot to give. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, that is powerful. Maybe that's my favorite now too, but I'm going to throw out another just in case. Give you a chance to change your mind. No, the one that popped out to me as I scanned through your list and read the pieces, especially this one, is the educator as a delighter in great things. That's number four. So tell us about that one and what the basic message of that one is. Yeah. So for that one, God's world is full of amazing things. We want our students, I call them our children. In my classroom, they become my children. We want our students to see God's amazing world and to see the amazing things in it from the smallest ant to the smile on a person that you see walking down the street. They're all great things. But we have to, as educators ourselves, we have to delight in those things as well. We Mm -hmm. teach by modeling most often, especially in the younger primary grades. Modeling becomes how we teach, how the students learn the most. So if they see me getting excited about a leaf, oh, their excitement doubles. So for us to delight in those great things, let the great things be the teacher, right? Put the leaf on the table and circle around the leaf with your students and explore it together. Instead of us, the teacher that is giving all the information, become the teacher that learns with our students. And then you're the delighter as well. And they learn to learn and they learn to be curious and they learn to ask questions and they learn to see God's amazing world for what it is not just another thing that the teacher has told me about. If we become the delighter of great things, our students become that as well, instead of teacher-student relationship. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The practical side, I'm just going to pick one practical note that you give there to the classroom. You say, observe and notice with a clipboard and paper in hand. Give students opportunities, but not requirements, to draw what they see, write about what they see on the clipboard and paper. So just inviting your students to make observations and share those observations could be a huge step towards delighting. There's no wrong answer, right? It's what they see. They're safe to explore. They're safe to try. There's no wrong answer because everybody sees things from a different perspective. So allowing that to happen. I was just at a curriculum night at my kid's school last night where it was about math. And the teacher said, you know, sometimes you need to help your kids develop a skill of saying, what do you see? What do you observe? And that Mm -hmm. can help them as they're talking about their strategies, their process in math. I'm like, that's good advice. And then I came across this as I was thinking about our conversation today. And I'm like, doing that in the context of worship, that's what delight is, right? Delighting Mm -hmm. the creator, the giver of all good things is Mm -hmm. so much more powerful. And so what a great observation there. So thanks for sharing these. We could spend a lot of time with this and I'm so honored and grateful to be able to share your thoughts in this context with our community. So thanks for sharing it. On the teacher's lounge here, I'm trying to give my guests the last word. And so I just invite you to think about a colleague, a friend, someone that you would like to encourage and to equip, what would you share with them? What would you tell a fellow teacher in terms of embracing their calling and finding the joy in teaching? Oh, last word. I would say that 
we're always going to be challenged. We're always going to be maybe inspired to do more, to do something else. Just start with something small. Just start with investing in your students by conversation. There's always going to be curriculum development. There's always going to be new pedagogy to learn. There's always going to be, there's always going to be, there's always going to be, right? But I think for teachers to find that joy, start by maybe being at the foot of the ladder, at the foot of the cross. Let God minister to you. And then just start small. Even these 10 devotions and all the practical things that I've listed, it would be too much to start and do all 10 things. Just pick one and hone in on it and learn it and use it and develop it. And then pick another, maybe in January, right? Just slowly start until it becomes the culture of your classroom and the nature of your teaching. The joy that we have from teaching doesn't come from what we do. It comes from what God is doing through us. So allowing God to work through us, starting small and being willing to try something new. That's great. Great advice. Thanks, Stacy, for being in the Teacher's Lounge today. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for dropping by the Curriculum Track Teacher's Lounge today. We hope this conversation helped you feel more connected to like-minded educators and provided you with a thought, an idea, or even just a smile as you seek to do all that you can for all of your students. If you found this conversation to be helpful, do us a favor and rate this podcast. Also, be sure to share it with others. We would be grateful to hear from you with any ideas, questions, or thoughts that you may have. You can find ways to connect with us at CurriculumTrack.com.